1: Welcome to the New Books Network.
2: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to New Books in German Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm Nicole Coleman, your host for today. Today, we will be talking to three guests, Ella Gesen, Priscilla Lane, and Jonathan Skolnick, about the edited volume Minority Discourses in Germany since 1990. Ella, Priscilla, and Jonathan, welcome to the show. Hi, thank, thank,
3: you. You. thank you.
2: Hi. So let's start with introductions. Priscilla, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your research interests?
0: Uh, Well, I am an associate professor uh, in the Department of Germanic and Slavic at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And my research and teaching um, largely revolves around um, 20th and 21st century German studies, um, focusing on uh, racialized groups um, like Black, uh, a lot of the work I do is on Black German history and culture, um, but I also teach film studies, um, you know, uh, and basically look at the construction of German national identity
2: since 1945. Okay, thank you. Ella, how would you introduce yourself in your professional biography?
3: Yeah, so I'm Ella Gesen. I'm Associate Professor of German in the Programme of German and Scandinavian Studies at UMass Amherst. There's a lot of overlap in my research interests and Priscilla's, which comes as no surprise. So I also focus on 20th and 21st century German literature and culture with an emphasis on the post-war period and literatures of migration.
2: Hey, thank you. And Jonathan, would you also introduce yourself?
4: I'm Jonathan Skolnick. Um, Like Ella, I'm at University of Massachusetts Amherst, um, where I'm in the same uh, uh, German and Scandinavian studies program. Um, My work centers on German Jewish studies, uh, German Jewish history, literature and culture. I wrote a book about um, German Jewish historical fiction as minority culture, uh, sort of minority narratives in the age of the nation. Uh, that goes from the 1830s uh, through the immediate post-Holocaust period. More recently, my work's been um, concerned with uh, exile film uh, from the 1930s to the 1960s um, and on um, migration and Holocaust memory specifically, specifically focused on um, uh, Jewish writers uh, from the former Soviet Union, writing in German, writing in English.
2: All right, thank you. It's great to be with you all here today. Um, before we talk about the content of the book, I would be interested to hear Um, how this book came to be. We just heard about your individual research interests and some overlap there. But oftentimes, these fields exist independently and separately from each other. And you actually write about this in your introduction, where you say um, that there is a disconnect in the field of German studies between scholars who focus on different minoritized groups. So Ella, can you tell us a little bit about this disconnect and then also how the idea came about to cross that bridge?
3: Yeah, I think both aspects, the disconnect and the idea, are closely connected. And Priscilla should correct me if I misremember, but I think it started with a conversation between her and I during a GSA in 2015. Um, And we addressed, um, we talked about the seminars. There were two seminars, one on Turkish-German studies and one on Black-German studies. And we admitted to each other that we would have liked to participate. So she would have liked to participate. So she can talk about that probably Mm -hmm. herself. So I wanted to participate in the Black German Studies Seminar, but I was a little bit unsure about um, whether, you know, um, if, how to phrase that now, I don't know if I was uh, one of the candidates that um, was addressed through this seminar, and I'm not. That doesn't have anything to do with the call or the co-organizers. Um, And so maybe that reflects a little bit also the lack of conversation uh, among scholars between the subfields, so a little bit of an insecurity about maybe your place and position within the larger field regarding migration um, and minoritized uh, communities. And so then we um, thought about uh, potentially... um, Uh, A panel series uh, for the uh, GSA to gauge interest um, and did a panel series for the 2016 uh, GSA, which was then also supported by the newly formed Black Diaspora Network, so already different uh, forms of collaboration in the precursor to the large conference, Um, and Olivia Landry and Kristen Dickinson and Bernard Gunnelli, for example, they already participated in the panel series. And uh, during the GSA conference, uh, we, uh, I had mentioned Jonathan and his research to even open up the dialogue to a trialogue. Um, and maybe I should stop here to give Priscilla and Jonathan the opportunity to um, add with regard to the conference and additional conversations we had then, the three of us together. Yes.
0: Yeah, thanks, Ella. You helped jog my memory now. Yeah, we did have that conversation. I think it was the GSA in Kansas City where, you know, we had ho- wanted to participate in different seminars. And for me, um, you know, I initially started working on texts by Turkish-German authors in grad school. Um, my doctoral advisor, Denise Turk, you know, was advising me in that Um, and then I gradually moved to focus more on black German studies, but for me, Turkish German studies was always an interest and I'm just generally interested in groups that get racialized in Germany. So, yeah, I remember saying to Ella that I wished that it was possible to have conversations across these different fields because, you know, on the one hand, um, BIPOC have different experiences, you know, based on their unique, um, uh, histories and and how what their experience is in the in a white majority society but there are some similarities and there are interesting collaborations that happen um between artists and citation that happens you know across artists so yeah I remember us being frustrated you know what, not wanting to necessarily be put in one box and and wanting to yeah open up the dialogue to have Uh, or trialogue to have more people included. Um, So, yeah, then we had those panels. uh, And I think that was the GSA in San Diego that went really wonderfully. Um, And so the conference, that was basically a springboard for the conference. Um, We had a call and got submissions from, you know, all across the country, some from abroad. Um, It was really wonderful that we were able to put the conference on um, at UMass because there were also local scholars, and artists that we could bring in, uh, like Daniel kojo Um So I, I also remember that for us, we said, if we're going to have this trial that we really want to have all of these subfields, you know, represented um, equally. And so, you know, we had you know, three different keynotes on different days and three different artists from each um, representing each subfield. So, um, yeah, to me, it was just a wonderful opportunity to to reach across the aisle, you know, and and share ideas and concerns.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, Ella. I just a brief follow up. So I just wanted to also add um, that um, the question to participate in a seminar where the research focus is not your primary research focus, yes. So I think that was the question, because prior to moving to the U.S. and pursuing a Ph.D. in German studies at the Freie Universität, I was studying at the John F. Kennedy Institute, North American Studies, with an emphasis on Jewish-American and African-American literature. So, you know, so I also, like Priscilla, with regard to Turkish-German studies, Uh, followed an interest and engagement with black German literatures and so that's, we had similar experiences with regard to our question of participating in these formats that emphasize these fields as primary research areas.
2: Yeah, and it seems that your background made you the perfect people to bring all of this together because you have these many different fields already that you're interested in. So I I imagine that really helped also with the editing because of course not every chapter is in your primary research field, um, but but you have some background knowledge for all of them. Um, Jonathan, maybe you can tell us a little bit about kind of the journey from conference to book, because you weren't able to include everything, of course. Um, and so you made the decision then to focus on three main groups, Turkish German, Black, German, Jewish German, and on cultural products since 1990. Can you tell us a little bit about that decision making process, your reasons, your goals with that?
4: Well. Um, you know, we had to, I think, accept some limitations. As soon as we started to, um, you know, put together the conference, put out the call, um, you know, we heard right away from colleagues who were asking, um, could we include uh, Asian German studies uh, or, um, uh, you know, Roma and Sinti questions. Um, uh, There's uh, so much. This also um, happened in the wake of the Syrian civil war um, and the new mass migration. Um, But we um, uh, couldn't do everything all at once. Um, And so for our first conference, really wanted to do the trialogue structure as it came together. We also couldn't uh, include all of the papers given at the conference because some of them were committed um, uh, elsewhere, uh, and that also shaped some of the focus. I mean, just to backtrack a bit about how it came together, um, I think one of the things in the discussions uh, we had was the sense that these three um, subfields were kind of siloed, that the theory on the theoretical discussions um, seemed um, uh, not to be in dialogue with each other, uh, even though um, sometimes, you know, in German-Jewish studies, uh, post-colonial perspectives would come up but maybe not in the same ways as they were um, being discussed in Turkish German studies or Black German studies. And we also started to pay attention to a lot of the um, new work out there and to, with our call, encourage uh, especially um, contributions that would be uh, comparative uh, or to engage uh, at least uh, two of the areas um, in their focus. And we got a lot of really interesting ones. Um, The focus in the end on the book tended to be – much more literary Um, and some of the papers that were left out um, you know just by coincidence um, uh, focused on um, religion and on social theory. Uh, Susanna Heschel um, uh, of Dartmouth University for example gave um, a paper about Jewish scholars of Islam and questions of uh, uh, anti-Semitism and Orientalism in a longer historical perspective, um, and how it uh, bears upon um, you know the legacy of those fields. Um, Fariz Hafez um, of Salzburg um, gave a paper on um, Islamophobia research and anti-Semitism research um, in the links and comparisons between the conceptual paradigms and those. So those both had more of a religion as a frame, but we couldn't include everything, um, but we were able to include um, uh, many uh, really great papers um, uh, and um, uh, most of them comparative.
2: Yeah. And you really got a great variety and we'll, we'll get to that in uh, a second. I wanted to ask one more kind of background introductory question that has to do with the isolation too, because there is a huge research field, of course, for all three of these areas. And you couldn't really summarize everything that's going on in your introduction. So you you had to make a decision of what to include and whatnot. And I think you did a fantastic job condensing this super large um, body of research. Um, so I would be interested in how you actually went about this. Ella, what was important to you to include about Turkish German studies as a common foundation for your readers?
3: Yeah, you're talking about the three summaries of our various subfields. Actually, we received some really good uh, feedback through our readers' reports also with regard to these summaries that encouraged us to be more in conversation with each other and highlight not only existing dialogue, but why is dialogue between some more prevalent than between others? Yeah, so... um, What did I highlight? So, you know, I think a lot also speaks to um, our own emphases in our research. So um, I was involved in a number of conference uh, uh, exchanges and forms of seminars and panels to shift uh, not only the temporal framework, but also looking towards the Turkish archive, for example. And um, that is something I specifically addressed in my summary. It wasn't my intention also to uh, give a comprehensive overview that is really impossible. I think it's highlights of the aspects that I would identify um, as um, uh, sticking out in scholarly conversation for the last two decades maybe, or since the seminal publication of Leslie Adelson's Turkish Turn Um, And towards the end, also allude a little bit to ongoing conversations or emerging conversations, especially in the context of recent migrations um, and uh, conference collaborations within post-migrant frameworks, which increasingly also in my work plays a role to look at Migrant and post migrant context and continuities um, and differences. And I'll stop here and I can add some more of the additional questions.
2: Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it, it really struck me that uh, there was already dialogue going on, right? You, you did have the headers for the tr- three fields, but yes, you absolutely already connected them. You already started the dialogue right there. Um, and what I thought was also really interesting, Priscilla, and in the part about Black German studies was the connection to African uh, American um, studies, right? And so that sometimes there are closer connections there than actually to other minoritized groups in Germany. Um, Can you talk a little bit about that?
0: Yeah, um, that has to do with the fact that um, in the past, uh, so in, um, so black Germans who, you know, may have lived uh, following World War One, or, you know, during World War Two, were often very isolated. Uh, so they existed in smaller numbers and, and tended to not have a larger Black community unless you were in a city like Hamburg, for example, where there was more mi- migration. And so um, in like the memoirs that I've read by Black Germans, such as uh, Maria Nayar's autobiography or Hans-Jürgen Masekweiss, they often mention... Um, turning to African American culture as a way of uh, uh, looking for some form of um, identification or, or or material that helped them in their the creation of their subjectivity, you know, for lack of Black German models for that. Um, so I think that has a lot to do with it. And in previous um, research on Black German studies that's really been emphasized. Um, Some of the earlier scholarship, like Leroy Hopkins, you know, talked about how to use the lens of African-American literature to better understand Black German literature. Um, And even today, when you talk to Black German artists, they talk about, you know, the liking to read, you know, Toni Morrison and Alice Walker, you know, it's still influential. But what I also wanted to Um, highlight in that section was that um, Black German studies and Black German um, authors have their own culture, their own narrative, you know, um, uh, a Black German history that that goes back to the middle ages. So while they are often in dialogue with the diaspora, it's not always the case. And um, sometimes, yeah, sometimes it does make more sense to, to think about their work in, uh, in constellation with other minority groups in Germany. And sometimes they're in dialogue with the diaspora. So it really depends on the context. Um, I think as you look at each individual artist or author.
2: All right, thank you. Um Jonathan, what were the main points about German Jewish studies? Of course, a large repertoire um also there a large archive. What what did you want all readers to have before going into the chapters?
4: Well, absolutely. I had to telescope a lot and leave out, you know, Jewish minority culture uh, before 1933, cultural Zionism, uh, the way that uh, you know Nazi research on Jewish culture, all of these things that shaped it. Um, I really, the story begins in the post-Holocaust um, and um, looking at how questions of uh, German Jewish studies as minority studies, um, you know, might offer conceptual models uh, or counter models or just different approaches. Um, uh, You know, the earliest research framed the Jewish contribution to German culture and that idea of um, integration and assimilation and dissimilation of a minority to a majority culture um, remained a, in a sort of central binary model. Um, uh, the question we really wanted to open up is um, how does German-Jewish studies look in a much more complex um, uh, German society uh, where um, uh, binaries um, uh, maybe continue to exist but also alongside much more complicated um, uh, and diverse um, factors. And so I focused on a couple of um, terms that raised, you know, some of the questions that uh, Priscilla was uh, just talking about, the quest, the, you know, the degree to which, you um, Theory models that come uh, from American studies or African American studies or just the anglophone academy um, uh, are appropriate, or in what ways they can or can't successfully be transposed to the German context. Uh, whiteness, uh, uh, diaspora, migration, um, uh, racialization—do these things um, uh, mean different things um, in uh, the uh, German language sphere and in the German social context? Those are the kind of things I wanted to highlight in. Framing German Jewish studies in relation to Black German studies and Turkish German studies as it came together in our conference.
2: Thank you. Yeah, and and you do all of do all of you do this so beautifully on so few pages. It was pretty amazing to read that.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I would just briefly wanted to follow up um, to what Jonathan said and Priscilla also already mentioned. Um, Fatima el Tayeb. of course, emerges as an important figure who um, formulates a framework uh, for us to do the work that we do in our separate subfields, right? That's why she figures so prominently in the introduction and she has also engaged uh, with the question uh, questions of um, the epipelic applicability of theoretical concepts in her um, examination of um, intersectional minority activism in a European context. I just briefly wanted to acknowledge that.
2: Yeah, that, that's the name that came to mind right away when I was reading a lot of that. And the other name was probably Max Czolek and his way of, of going against integration as a concept, right? I think that also really shines through, which is a great segue to my next question, actually, um, which is about threads. So the common threads we can see, and I'm going to give a very brief kind of overview of some of the chapters that we won't discuss in detail, just to show the the breadth and the variety that you have. In there, um, so you have theater, film, monuments, stand-up comedy, short stories, novels, and poetry. Um, some of the chapters address one particular author or text, like Maya Kaspari, who writes about vielleicht Esther, and Evan Turner, who writes about two of Sharon Dodua Otoo's texts. Um, some look at explicit, inter- explicit interfaith dialogue, like Joshua Shelley with Zymoglos um, Moses. Others create a dialogue between different artists or texts, like Britta Callen with comedians and Bernard Guanelli with film from all three of your groups. And some speak about specific intertexts, like Kristen Dickinson does for Azdama and Lasca Schüler. So we will get to the three chapters I haven't yet mentioned in a little bit more detail, but I was hoping that you could tell us first about these common threads you see across the contributions. Jonathan, do you want to start us off and then maybe Priscilla and Ella want to add to it? Well, I think
4: some common threads are dialogue um, and um, relation, uh, calling it um, uh, alliance or um, uh, intersectionality um, uh, are themes that come up in a few of the papers, um, a futurity. Uh, was uh, a common thread um, in several, Um, and um, uh, at least three papers uh, brought these together. Um, As well as, I think, a general theme of, um, and this may be understated in our presentation, but your description of the varied media that the authors address addresses it, which is um, a question of what is culture, popular culture, um, uh, traditional forms like the novel, what do they mean in the contemporary context? I think all the papers in different ways probe it if they don't make that a central concern, because again, it's everything from comedy and television uh, to reimagining traditional theater like Oberammergau uh, to uh, the novel in contemporary society and the short story.
2: Thank you. Ella, Priscilla, is there anything you'd like to add or expand on about the threads, the commonalities that you saw across?
0: Um, Yeah, I think two things that come to mind are intertextuality. So the, the fact that artists from these different groups are reading each other, you know, and are aware of a of, uh, certain narrative history. So the fact that Isdamar, you know, uh, read El uh, Zalaska Shula, or the fact that Zymolu would be interested in Moses' story. Um, and then um, another um, thread that I find important is the idea of racialized groups speaking back. Uh, to the majority. Um, So I think of uh, Nick Block's essay about the uh, Stolpersteine or uh, Britta's um, chapter about the comedians. So I feel like in both cases it's Looking at you know what has the dominant narrative been among you know the white majority uh, society in Germany and how have racialized groups uh, tried to change the narrative, um, insert themselves in the narrative uh, to add a new perspective.
3: Yeah, if if I may briefly follow up, so um, dialogues intertextuality in um, has come up already. I think proximity is something I would add to that. So how are a variety of contexts? Um, how do they touch? How are they in conversation? How uh, uh, are they put in proximity? Kristen Dickinson in her chapter refers to this as a being in relation that she addresses when she looks at intertextual references to Elsa laskar and um, maybe to, which is also linked to that, the question of the archive is also really central as a thread, I would say, and approached in a variety of ways. So how is it constituted? How it is reflected upon? How is it expanded? What are, what are gaps? What are silences? Um What is kind of the uh, archive that the individual chapters and the volume itself uh, formulates, right? I mean, um, something I noticed again in uh, preparing a little bit for this conversation is uh, recurring references to Leslie Adelson's and Fatima El Tayeb's work, for example. Um, So how are also scholars in conversation with each other in addition to the artists um, or objects under discussion? So that is something I would add also.
2: Yeah, thank you. Yeah, and memory, right? connected to the archive for sure. And we'll get to that with especially one of the chapters. So now we're getting to the most difficult part, because I'm going to ask you to talk about chapters you haven't written (laughs) yourself. Um, So we're beginning with chapter one, which is actually a primary text. Um, That's Esther Descherites, Refugee, Migrant, Immigrant, which was specifically translated for your book, correct? Or? No. No. Okay, but this is a translation and it had appeared elsewhere before. So, um, Ella, can you tell us a little bit about how you came to include that text and what your readers can glean about your project as a whole, maybe, from this chapter? Because I read it almost as a second introduction.
3: Yeah, I think it was strategically positioned within the edited volume also, and it pertains to everything we just discussed with regard to the threads, right? So um, what histories um, intersect, um, touch, or get in proximity um, is also relevant for this essay. So um, the German version, Geflüchtet, Zugereist, Eingewandert, was published in the essay collection Mama, darf ich das Deutschland sing Lied sing," which I think was published, was it published last year or two years ago? I'm sorry, it's included at the end of the essay also. But the conference itself was also conceptualized in a way that we had three keynote speakers, one um, working primarily in each of the subfields, and we had um, performers, writers, writers, Um, and a DJ with IPEC included as well. So the inclusion of culture um, was really important to us. And so we wanted to include a translation in order to contribute to the expansion of the archive with the hope also that would be taught. I taught this text for the first time in a general education course in Berlin. Esther Discherreit very generously shared the text to me to teach it. She was visiting Amherst that semester and came to my course to talk to my students about this rather difficult text, given its episodic nonlinear structure. And and so that actually gave me the idea to include it as something that colleagues might include in their own teaching. Also considering um, how many colleagues are involved in the translation of a number of texts we're working on in order to be able to teach them where we're located, right? So Esther Dscherreit is somebody um, who has always been um, an important interlocutor. We have ongoing conversations since we first met. She became really important for my work when she became involved in the NSU complex and collaborated with DJ Ipek on the Klagelieder, which is also a context that we reference Reference for um, the panel series, um, the conference, and is included to some extent in the introduction. And so, um, this essay for me brings a, var- a variety of. It uh, brings a variety of histories of migration, at different historical junctures, into conversation while it's focused on Berlin. So. It's very difficult for me just to summarize what I think uh, this, um, 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 what this, uh, to summarize this essay, um, period, because it touches uh, upon, you know, it also, it was written, I believe, in the aftermath of um, uh, Sommer der Migration, so 2015, and um, draws explicitly on that context, but also historically, um, goes back to um, show connections, which by that I don't mean that, of course, these are one-to-one comparisons, yeah, but she brings different histories of migration into conversation with each other through various figures, um, in this narrative. And I will stop here to um, let my colleagues comment on it a little bit too.
1: I don't know about you, but I'm very busy and I don't have a lot of time to cook. That's why I subscribe to Factor. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready to eat meals. Every fresh, never frozen meal is chef crafted, dietitian approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including calorie smart, protein plus, and keto. These are two minute meals slash nbn50 to get 50% off.
2: Yeah, maybe before I give it back to you, I I was also really interested. So there were so many contextual references in that essay, right? And I think I got most of them um, as somebody who reads a lot of German newspapers and current events. But I really thought, I don't know how students could could do this without a framing. Um yes. But I'm sure. I mean, that's what you did probably in your course, and then you get that literary piece in there. Um, I was wondering um, what what you thought about that, and whether you needed explanatory commas if you give this as a text for teaching, or or just in general. Um, whether just giving it as is to the readers is also kind of a challenge to say, hey, you also have to do your own work, right? You have to do a little bit here to to actually catch up with what, what is going on. Are there any thoughts about that?
4: You know, this podcast is making me think in retrospect, um, one of the things our volume lacks, um, which is, I guess, something for the next volume or someone else to pick up is to, you know, interpret the text and and to um, begin to read it and work on it as a, as a primary source in in the conference. We don't have that there. So I love your description of it as a kind of a second introduction that's suggestive. I mean, I would, uh, you know, again, underline, amplify um, Ella's um um, comment that the, as an introduction, the Disharite piece, you know, brings out uh, the theme of intersecting histories um, and, you know, uh, alliances, empathy, solidarity, um, uh, that comes across really clearly. Um, but I think there's more to be explored, you know, um, uh, thinking again about the change in translation of the title um, uh, from uh, Geflüchtet uh, zu Gereist, eingewandert to refugee, migrant, immigrant. You know, the German original has the emphasis on movement um, uh, and and on place, but the um, um, English translation puts the accent on. Perhaps ideas of identity or, or, you know, projected identities and and, and authorship, um, uh, who is speaking um, and and how is one recognized or labeled when one speaks? Um, I think the authors take them up, but um, uh, uh, it functions in a literary way. And um, I, I think you know um, this um, uh, was especially Elo's vision that the conferences should always, you know, include. Um, um, you know, primary sources, artists uh, to, to interact with the scholars there. So um, uh, we don't close the circle, but I think we open it up.
2: Yeah, for sure. I want to work with that text. Absolutely. <laughs>
3: I don't know if I should briefly respond to the teaching part. So, yeah, I'd be very interested. You know, this is a course that I teach in English, and so these are not primarily German majors, and there's no common knowledge base from which to depart. And, of course, uh, we read Fatima El-Tayeb, and we read additional primary and secondary sources that would give them the vocabulary to be able to approach this text. Yeah, I, I also think there are many associative leaps and gaps and fractures and ellipses. So the text leaves a lot open and its non-linearity, you know, it adds to this um, incompleteness, I think. And so maybe it allows us to or for students or us to enter it in a variety of ways. So maybe they're not familiar with all the references. And you mentioned you had to look uh, some up, as did I. But they will be familiar with some, right? Some that we might have discussed. We can pick up a few. Something they really picked up on is, is the Ich Discherei? Because there are some parallels between the Ich and the... Out, uh, biography of um, disharite and that came also up in the discussion, so um, to what extent, we have we'd also talk about Özdemar autofictional texts are also relevant there, so it gives an opportunity to also compare this essay to other literary texts that we discuss, but also reference uh, theoretical texts that um, gave us the tools to approach it and deconstruct it, yeah and that's always Only the beginning of the conversation because there's no means to grasp it in one or two sessions in its totality, you know, and the references that are given from. The Israeli expert community in Berlin, the Balkan Wars, the Arab Spring, uh, refugees from Sudan and Syria, Holocaust survivors. So there's a multitude of historical contexts, which, as you said, would require um, a lot. You could probably um, uh, structure an entire course by starting with this essay and then from there, maybe going to explore some of these contexts that she Um, addresses but that format also um, invites conversations about why is it structured in this way yeah Mm. and so in terms of also positionality agency subject positions uh, subjectivity etc
2: you're giving me so many ideas thank you Um, Okay, let's jump to chapter 4, written by Olivia Landry entitled Schwarztragen, Blackness Performance and the Utopian in Contemporary German Theater. I have so many questions about this chapter, it inspired so many ideas for me, but I will limit myself. Um, Priscilla, can you walk us through Olivia's arguments, the dialogue between Black theater and post-migrant theater she creates, and maybe in particular her discussion of Schwarztragen rather than sein, which I found Mm -hmm. really interesting.
0: Uh, yeah, I I can um, I can maybe start, and Ella might need to help me. <laughs> it's, it's, it, I wasn't able to reread uh, the chapter in preparation. Um, so one of the things that I I really love about this chapter is um, uh, Olivia's focus on futurity because um, that's also that's an interest that we share. Um, how uh, Black German art has kind of made this pivot to uh, think increasingly about the future and what kind of an Afro future do black Germans envision. Um, so, um, I see it as not just as kind of a liberating move that says black Germans don't have to just deal with, you know, the past and, and past concepts of blackness this is something that Natasha Kelly says in one of her essays that black Germans can, you know, refuse to engage with, with these older, um, racist constructs of blackness that, you know, Kant may have, you know, came up with and instead put all of their energy into um, creating what blackness means for them and what a Germany uh, in which black life can survive and thrive would look like. Um, So we, I was really excited to have Olivia included in this volume because um, she's done a lot of work on contemporary theater. And as you said, also um, post-migrant theater and, um, this play. Well thinking about the the topic of or what what kind of a metaphor tragen is, I think it gets at this idea that blackness is not inherent. It's you know it's not a biological category or biological identity. It's a construct, and and what that means for each person can be very different, and that takes us back to you know some of the the first texts that were published in Black German Studies, like Tina Camp's Other Germans, um, that I love to return to because uh, there at the end of the book she has this dialogue um, with one of her interviewees, I believe Fazia Jansen, where it becomes clear in the dialogue that you know, Tina's idea of Blackness and Fazia's are different, you know, and that that, that's okay. Uh, So for me, as someone uh, with uh, uh, relatives from the Caribbean, you know, another part of the diaspora, it was just so liberating to think about uh, making space for all this, uh, for different ways of being Black. Um, So on the one hand, that is, that resonates with the the phrase tragen but you also have space for mourning, right? For, for acknowledging that being black, um, in contemporary German society can be, uh, painful that you're, you're faced with, you know, discrimination, with violence, um, and that, yeah, you, there, there are ancestors that you mourn, right? Um, relationships that you mourn, um, of people who have come before you. Um, so I think, Olivia does a really good job of of teasing out all of those nuances about the play in her um, chapter.
2: Okay, thank you. One thing, um, just one more thing about the chapter is that the text of the play actually opens with the remark that blackface is prohibited. And uh, I was wondering whether you can just talk briefly about the significance of including that in the text of the play.
0: Um. Yes. Uh, the topic of blackface and Germany uh, has a really long history. Also, uh, debates within academia. You know, some texts that come to mind are Katrin Sieg's, uh Zeeks' uh, ethnic drag, talking about um, you know the history of of using blackface on stage and and um, white artists' justification of that with their like. Uh, Use of you know Brechtian alienation, and then I think of Jonathan Whiplinger's essay um, on uh, blackface, you know, in the nineteenth century um, in Germany, and then Sharon Otoo has uh, written some, a great piece on uh, more contemporary use of blackface. Um, so, uh, sorry, I have to remember the question. Ah. Okay, why why it's important that the play says there is no blackface, right? So, um, in recent years, there have been you know contra- controversial choices made by um, directors, uh, white directors, to use blackface on stage in Germany. Um, one prominent example was um, uh, Dia Loher's play Unschuld. Um, that has two um, characters who are meant to be um, African refugees. And um, there was a staging of that play with white German actors in blackface. Um, another play was I'm Not Rappaport. Um, I actually saw a play uh, in Berlin, uh, a theatrical staging of Fassbinder's The Marriage of Maria Brown. Where uh, Bill, the black GI, was played by a white actor in blackface. So, um, yeah, this was all over the German stage um, uh, several years ago, and um, black Germans responded, you know, swiftly um, in in the media, in the papers, online, that this is a racist practice, that this is not acceptable, and so there was this. I don't know if you even want to call it a debate. Um, the those who came to the defense of this practice claim that there's no link to American the American history of blackface and that um, that this is you know uh, in the tradition of mosque in in, in Germany and that it's about uh, alienation and and removing um, uh, making space between the actor and the role um, but I think that, you know, Black Germans made it very clear that, that that's just not acceptable um, in this day and age uh, to continue doing this practice, especially since, not only because of its racist implications, but because there are so many Black German actors um, in the theater, in television, and film. So, you know, previous um, arguments that, you know, a director just couldn't find a Black actor for the role, you know, is not believable. So for me, when when a playwright you know, says specifically blackface is not allowed, they are asserting their voice, their agency as a black German, their their ownership over the text, right? Saying that, you know, it's not okay for a white director to take this text and just stage it any way they want. Um, that this, you know, as, as a, a part of the black German community that there's a certain ethics that's involved um, for anyone who would want to stage this text.
2: Yeah, thank you. Um, so moving on to chapter six, in which Nick Block writes about dialogue and intersection in German Holocaust memory culture, stumbling blocks and the memorial of the murdered Jews of Europe. The chapter opens with two um, kind of memory uh, parts in Berlin alongside each other, the Stolpersteine for victims of the Holocaust and round plaques in the ground for East Germans who try to flee East Germany. The chapter describes the appropriation of Holocaust memory and the layering of memory. Um, and uh, what I found particularly thought-provoking was the discussion about the word "manmal" in the um, chapter: who these memorials address, who is and isn't heard. Can you tell us a little bit more about Nick's argument in this chapter, Jonathan? <laughs>
4: Um, well, you know, I can't speak for the author, but I can, um, you know, certainly highlight some of the themes that were important to you know me as one of the three editors. Um, you know, I thought that the block piece was really important because it emphasized, uh, you know, an approach to German Jewish studies that looked at Jews in Germany since 1990 as a living community um, and as a presence um, um, that was sometimes, you know, um, in disharmony with um, official memorial culture. The Stolpersteine meant something different to those um, members of the Jewish community that, that thought that you know, stepping on the names of, of uh, someone's relatives wasn't uh, their form of commemoration and indeed might um, uh, you know, be jarring or, or uh, um, uh, troublesome. So I thought that that was really um, uh, uh, central. And I think, you know, it relates to what, um, uh, you know, we were just talking about with um, uh, uh, Olivia Landry's chapter, which is how the papers, you know, sometimes directly speak to each other. Like Landry's paper really speaks towards Leslie Adelson's paper on futurity and the question of sort of, you know, how to overcome what Avery Gordon, you know, referred to as social death um, and, and racial haunting, um, you know, through through something else, through presence, through figures like Joy in the blumson play, um, uh, and through, you know, an assertion of one's own, you know, right to exist in a complex society. Um, um, uh, 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 in the play with its, you know, injunction against blackface to say, you know, turn to German actors um, uh, and to acknowledge this, this presence and also how it's kind of readerly that it looks to a response. You know, Landry raises the question of audience theater um, as a, um, a, an event that, that presumes uh, a, a white audience. Um, um you know similarly i think you know the text kind of look to a response who are the audiences for these um uh, memorials um uh, who's in and who's out that's one of the things that block's paper also highlights um in the you know um um you know falling out between um uh, the uh, you know TV co-hosts Henrik Broder and and Hamid Abdul Amsamau, who, you know, engage with the memorial to the murdered Jews of Europe, um, where where, uh, Broder provocatively, like, walks around Berlin, shows up to a memorial event, you know, dressed as one of the concrete blocks and tries to move around with this. Um, uh, He can do this in a way that um, uh, his, um, you know, a Muslim German um, colleague um, uh, feels that they, they can't, um, uh, uh, both because of the gesture of putting on that costume or assuming that position, but also in terms of the reaction that will provoke from the different audiences that are there. So I think performance and audience um, uh, echoes and, and sort of ricochets throughout a lot of the papers.
2: Yeah, thank you. And Tischerei shows up in this in this chapter two with a very different kind of monument, uh, an audio uh, piece in a different German city, just as a, as a counter movement. I thought that was really interesting. I'd never heard of that monument before. Um, so lots of new points to consider in, in all of these chapters. So we have talked about Leslie Adelson, so let's talk about her chapter two. Uh, it's chapter 10 and it's titled Future Narrative as Contested Ground, um, Emine Özdemir's On the Train and Michael Götting's Contrapunktes. And this chapter brings very explicitly all three groups together by also including Hannah Arendt and discusses a Turkish-German short story Özdemir's On the Train and an Afrofuturist novel by Götting. So I was really interested in the point about historical continuity, temporal rupture, in these texts and the nodal character of future narrative, which also reminded me a little bit of the constellations that Kristen Dickens writes about. So there are so many connections here, right? Um, Ella, can you tell us a little bit more about this chapter?
3: Yes, I will try, though. Um, Afrofuturism being Priscilla's expertise, I look to her to complement my brief remarks. Um, I think what I want to highlight in general, what happens um, in Leslie Adelson's chapter, is her ability, since we talked a lot about uh, proximity and dialogue and intertextuality, um, the way in which she brings... Um, literary texts in conversation with each other um, um, that are maybe not thought of together, yeah? And so she has done that um, uh, 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 in the Turkish turn already, you know, her work on Zafar Senorcak, on Yoko Tawada, Alexander Kluge, and here Göttingen and Özdemar, and also Özdemar, about whom so much has been published already, um, bring new vistas to Özdemir's scholarship by bringing Özdemir in conversation with Goetting under consideration of futurity as temporal structure in narration, yeah? And so here I also want to highlight that um, she's also really important in her role as a translator in the field, you know, from... Uh, she has translated Atlas eines tropischen Deutschlands. She was really important in introducing Zafir Genojak into uh, scholarly discourse um, in German studies in the U.S. And she is the translator, if I'm not mistaken, of this Özdemir short story, which, which was then um, published in Transit, that makes it available for us to also teach in our courses, um, which I have done. And so that's something um, I I would like to uh, point out. Um, What was particularly intriguing to me when she gave uh, a version of this as her keynote lecture in the conference also is... Um, thinking about temporality within literary structures and the relationship uh, between the past and the present, and the kind of simultaneous that simultaneities that literature can construct. yeah, so just to approach it from an angle that is relevant um, for my own research. And um, yeah, so i I, I hope that Priscilla has points to add. Um, to this chapter, especially maybe with regard to her own research on Afrofuturism?
0: Um, Well, I think you did a really good job of summarizing uh, the most important points. I mean, for me... um, one of the things I like about this chapter is, like you said, Ella, bringing Uzdemar and in conversation, which I hadn't thought of. Um, I, I didn't know this short story on the train, but I have admired some of Uzdemar's other work. Um, you know, th- this is really exemplifying what we set out to do with the volume is asking people, you know, to break, o- break out of their silos and and try to, to make new connections. Um, as, as far as um, Afrofuturism goes, I think, um, you know, what the way that this connects to the, um, the, the goals of Afrofuturism is to show how um, Black authors uh, or racialized authors in general um, can play with time, can experiment with time. So this notion of time as a Western construct you know, is something that Walter Manolo writes about um, in, uh, the, I believe it's The Dark Side of Western Modernity. So he he brings up this point that, you know, our use of, you know, a clock and the idea that the day has, you know, 24 hours. These are all constructs. And that if we look at, you know, other civilizations, whether in the global south or in an earlier time, we can find completely different ways of organizing the day and and think of things, say, more in a more circular way. So I think that's something that um, Leslie's essay, you know, highlights is that. Um, when we uh, kind of break free from from the way that we normally organize time, like how and what way can that um, be liberating for for a racialized author?
4: Oh, Ella. Yeah, and I think you know that Adelson's piece um, uh, responds to, and it's a lot. Many of the papers look towards it, but I, I think it also even opens up more questions. You know, the point, um, uh, Ella, you just made about narrative, you know, indeterminacy. I think what comes out in, uh, for me, in Edelson's in futurity discussion is, you know, um, futurity um, it, as an implicit response to trauma. Both of the narratives um, uh, that, that Adelson considers deal with traumatic events um, and a question of moving beyond um, uh, Does the one story does contrapunctus end with a death uh, or not? Uh, uh, this is really unclear. And, and you know this is a it's a universal literary theme, but it's also a theme that's particularly resonant um, uh, in uh, the German language sphere um, uh, as well. So I think that that um, you know that question of, You know, temporality um, uh, and the aesthetics and the politics of temporality um, uh, are raised. um, uh, uh, You know, in these in these texts, I I really like um, uh, Adelson's piece as as a um, you know um, you know. I'm trying to think of the right word. It's not a it's not an endpoint. It's not a a conclusion um, either, but it's more of an open question at the end.
3: Yeah, and if I could briefly follow up, you know, I think Leslie always um, pushes us to think beyond established boundaries, yeah? So if we talk about a Turkish-German text or a Black-German text, and so she shows us ways in which you can read together, how you can read literary texts together by focusing on the way in which they engage with historical continuity and temporal rupture, the way in which these narrative forms or to group them together in focusing on future making within these narrative forms. So I think um, thinking about um, how we also um, archive or canonize body of works, right? So I think her work is also important um, to think about how we group texts or how we isolate texts or how we put texts in conversation with each other. So that's just something I wanted to add to this conversation.
2: Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that chapter wraps up the book, but it really opens up so many questions and ideas and future potential for dialogue. Um, so I, I think also the structure that you chose for the book makes so much sense in that way, right? To to give new ideas and then open it up at the end. So as we are approaching the hour, there's our traditional last question, and that is, what are you working on right now, Jonathan?
4: Um, Well, I'm continuing uh, to work on um, sort of third generation Holocaust narratives focused on uh, migration literatures, uh, writers from the former Soviet Union and transnational perspective um, uh, in uh, German, uh, in English, and in Hebrew. Um, uh, That's one of the things. uh, And a book on uh, exile film um, and questions of race in American culture.
3: Very interesting. Thank you. Ella? Ella? Yeah, I'm working on a book uh, looking at cultural practices by Turkish artists in the early stages of migration, 70s and 80s, and the institutional frameworks they created for this culture to be performed and staged. And here I'm also interested in um continuities and ruptures to toward the present moment so how does the post migrant relate to the migrant also or to scrutinize the migrant within the post migrant and Dennis Utlu's for example somebody who always draws connections to earlier generations and um, and so and right now i'm really looking closely at sculpture which is very exciting for me so reading sculpture is a new experience and yeah that's the current project Sounds fascinating. Priscilla? Um,
0: I'm making final some final edits to my book on uh, For Futurism, which hopefully will be out next year. Um, and I'm also um, finishing up a kind of critical guide to Fassbinder's The Marriage of Maria Brown, uh, which will come out with Camden House.
2: Okay, great. And I hope we will get to talk to you again then when you come out with all of these really interesting new projects projects i want to thank you all for being on the show today and talking to me about minority discourses in germany since 1990 i enjoyed our conversation very much take care goodbye tschüss thank you